Hello and welcome to episode 69 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Tuesday, January 31st, 2017. Uh, Duke had a much nicer week than they did uh, last week. So they went on the road and beat Notre Dame and beat, and beat uh, Wake Forest. And we're here to tell you about it. So I'm your host this week, Sam Klein. I am joined, as always, um, by my colleagues in Atlanta, uh, Jason Evans. Hey there. We're gonna. Hey, we're gonna talk about both these games separately because to me they're two very, very different games. And and also, you said we had a slightly better week. I mean, this is like this is a sea change. <laughs> a week in which you have two ACC road wins, one of which is against a ranked team, is like unbelievable. Yeah, I I, I was obviously understating um, for for some sort dramatic of purposes. Game. Yes, sure. Yes. Exactly, and then our other uh, our other co-host this week is Donald Wine in Washington D.C. Uh, good morning, guys. Uh, we're recording this very early in the morning for us on the East Coast, and very, very, very early uh, for Sam. It's only five o'clock. I will be fine. Yeah. Uh, so, so let's get into it. As Jason mentioned, we're going to do these one at a time. So we'll start with Wake Forest. Um, in this game, Duke was down by a lot at halftime and came back and won. Slowly chipped away at the lead and really managed to to hold on at the end, um, especially with highlighted by a Luke Kennard three-pointer. I'll start with Donald. Um, give me your impressions from the Wake Forest game. Well, I, I mean, like you said, we, we started out, I, I thought we played terribly in the first half, and uh, we didn't really find a rhythm until about, I think, about 10 minutes left in the game. And it's kind of weird. Like, I'm looking at the stats, and, and it shows that we went 63% from the floor in the second half. And I think it's more of a case of we went about 20% for the first 10 minutes of the second half. And then, like you said, slowly but surely we kept chipping away. But that's because we just started hitting everything when we came down the court. Um, I, felt, I felt like we went about 80% the rest of the way. Um, but I think that this game showed a lot of heart. You know, when some of these teams, this team, especially this team, early in the season, we're down seven with like two minutes left. We're not winning that ball game. And somehow we just kept staying composed, staying within ourselves. Um, we we happened to have Luke Kennard be on fire. Uh, he went for 34 points. He was 11 for 14 from the floor, uh, 6 for 10 from um, from the three-point line. and I'm sorry, 6 for 6 from the three-point line. And, uh, and, six 10, for 10. and 10 for 10 in the second half. Yeah, he, it's, he, it's just perfect it, in the second half. It's incredible how amazing he was. But like just that fed the rest of the team. Even if we didn't hit a basket, we got a, a key stop on the, on the, uh, on the other end. Um, everyone kind of contributed to this. And I think this was one of those victories that you, you see as kind of a, a momentum builder, um, especially that last two minutes where now this team gets a taste of being down backs against the wall and coming back from the brink and winning. So I think that is a good uh, thing to take away from this game. I, hopefully we leave that first half way back in the past, but uh, I, I think we we really showed a lot of metal and a lot of heart um, down the stretch. What would you think if those halves were reversed? That's a good question. I, I think it would end up more like the NC State game where, uh, you know, we, we started out kind of kind of good and then we had a nice lead and then the, the rail fell off. And I think if the rail fell off, you kind of probably, we're probably sitting here thinking, oh no, what, is, what has happened to our team? There's something terribly wrong with how we play in the second half. But uh, I'm glad the roles were reversed this time around. Jason, your take on Wake. I mean, we played poorly 
for at least 35 minutes, and then we found a way to win. And though it's weird and strange to say this about a game in which you mostly played poorly, that's actually the hallmark of a good team. Uh, when you don't play well, and yet you still find yourself in it, you know, enough to be able to suddenly play well for a small stretch and win it, that's that's actually a pretty good sign. Um, I mean, we were, as Donald said, we were down seven points with two minutes left. I thought we were going to lose. And I thought a loss to Wake on the road was pretty much going to doom our season. That Now, I'm not saying we were going to miss the NCAA tournament, but but I really think the, the final two minutes when Kennard hit a three and then Allen hit a three and then Kennard hit the three that won it um, changes the complexion of the season around really dramatically. We, we committed way too many fouls. We, we almost threw away the season with the number of fouls we committed. Um, but now it feels like we may be on our way to being really good again. I mean, how crazy was the game? But how crazy has the season been? And, and um, I want to back up really quick. Uh, to me, one of the... One of the turning points that began to get Duke ignited and playing well again was Brandon Childress, Randolph Childress's son, who was an idiot and went and grabbed Grayson Allen, got wrapped up with someone. There was a foul and there was kind of a little, you know, people sort of jawing off against each other by the Duke bench. And Brandon Childress went in and, and I don't want to say he tackled Grayson Allen, but he, he wrapped his arms around Grayson Allen and pulled Grayson Allen to the bench or to the ground. It was hard to see. Um, basically this was, this is what teams have been doing to Grayson Allen lately. They've been trying to punk him a lot and Grayson just keeps on remaining really calm. Um, it resulted in a technical foul against Wake that gave Duke a couple free throws, but I think it woke the team up a little bit. We, I thought we played better after that moment than we did before it. Um, uh, another key I saw to the game was I thought we rebounded really well against a, a fairly decent sized and uh, athletic team in Wake Forest. We out-rebounded them 36-29. to 29. When we get to Notre Dame, I'll mention that we out-rebounded them by 12. We're turning into one of the better rebounding teams we've seen at Duke in a long time because usually Duke is not a big rebounding team, and we do it in, in, in collective bunches. Um, so we had, we had a bunch of different guys rebound really nicely in this game. Um, Grayson Allen led the team with six rebounds. You know, it's not like someone came out and had 10, 12, 14. Grayson had six. Uh, Jason Tatum had five rebounds in 21 minutes. And, and as we'll see when we discuss Notre Dame, he's turning into a rebounding freak. Um, and Harry Giles had five rebounds in 18 minutes. And I thought the wake game to me was Giles beginning to show a little more of what made him the number one high school player in the country. He, he's an athletic freak. His skill level, his instincts are still really rusty, but he's starting to to realize, hey, I can just be a crazy athletic freak out here, and and it'll really work for me. Um, and I thought Duke actually passed the ball fairly well in this game. We had 18 assists, which is a good number. 18 assists on 28 made baskets, which is pretty nice. And we had four different guys with more than three assists. Um, uh, so uh, the weight game was, just, like I said, it was one of these games where we didn't play very well. And we still managed to find a win in an ACC road win. Those are precious, precious commodities. And to do it right after taking an ACC home loss to friggin' NC State. Ugh, I'm still disgusted at that. I, it, it was a big deal. It was a really big deal. And, um, and I think, uh, you know, Sam, if you got a, a little more to add, but, um, was, <laughs> you know. It, I was going to ask you a follow-up question about one of the things you said, which is about the rebounding and how it's more spread around than it was 
earlier in the season. And I remember particularly like um, when all the freshmen were still hurt, we were talking about how Emil Jefferson was averaging a double double and, you know, he was, he was the man inside. And, and yeah, we, we know that Grayson Allen's a good rebounder. We know that Matt Jones is opportunistic and can get a few himself. Um, do you prefer, well, I guess there, there's kind of two things here. One, what's leading to there being more, you know, equality in the rebounding? Is it, is it the defense? Is, is there, is there some style of player? Is it just, or is it just the evening out? And then the second question being, um, which do you, which of those do you prefer? Do you want the guards getting as many rebounds as they do, or would you rather it be the big men? Well, I, I don't mind. I, I like the guards getting. Yeah, sorry. I, I like the guards getting rebounds um, because I think that uh, uh, you know, especially when a guard gets a rebound, either it's he's fighting inside for it, or maybe it's a long rebound that he um, corrals on, you know, uh, by by hustling a little bit more than than everyone else. So. Uh, guard rebounds, I'm perfectly fine with them. As for the equanimity uh, across the entire team, um, you're, you're right. We're not seeing Emil Jefferson put up double doubles anymore. Um, I, I'd I'd love for him to because Emil's a, a fabulous um, fifth year senior and has that kind of ability and that kind of talent. Um, look, he, he, you know, Emil carried us the first four or five minutes of the of the Notre Dame game um, and, and and helped us build an early lead against Notre Dame, um, but. For Duke to be the team that everyone expected in the preseason, which is the team that everyone expects to win the national title, I love Emil Jefferson, but for Duke to become that team, um, probably Jason Tatum and Harry Giles need to be, you know, two of the five best players on the floor. Um, and uh, and, and to, for most of the season, they have not been. Um, uh, you know, it's only occasional flashes that we've gotten from Tatum. Uh, and as as much as I love Emil Jefferson, Duke's potential is higher when Emil Jefferson is taking a smaller role. Now he still needs to take a huge role as as the defensive captain. Essentially, um, he still needs to play major minutes. I'm not. We're not talking about minutes, but we're talking about sort of, you know, uh, what kind of things are they producing for the team? And when Jason Tatum and Harry Giles are filling up the stat book, I think Duke is probably better off than when Emil Jefferson is because I think Jefferson's going to provide things for you, whether he gets stats or not. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and, and I think I agree with your, your take there. That's why I, I kind of wanted to hear somebody else say it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let me, let me, let me jump in and let me jump in and say one more thing about the uh, long rebounds. I, I think when, when you have guards getting a lot of rebounds, what that signifies is two things. One, you're forcing the other team to take, uh, bad jump shots. Um, and I think that was something that we did, especially in the second half. The second thing that means is you have great perimeter defense. And that is a key because, you know, when you're, when you're playing basketball and you're a guard, you're taught to, you know, there's a drill that you basically get everybody to box out. And if the ball hits the floor, then the defensive team wins, no matter who gets the rebound. And I think a lot of times what that means is you're having a lot of, uh, you're forcing a lot of bad jump shots which is leading to a lot of long rebounds. And these guards are, are sealing out their man correctly and getting to the ball. And I think that is what has been key, especially in these little spurts when we, I mean, you saw it against Miami um, a lot when they were missing some bunnies and there'd be shots tipped out, but our guys were, were sealing the uh, players off in the, on the perimeter. This time around, these were a lot of jump shots that they were missing and we were getting the rebounds and being active to the ball. And I think that is what you want to see from a defensive team. And the, and the it, it's... If you say bad jump shots, that should lead us to, to Notre Dame.
let's talk about Notre Dame and, and talk about defense. Um, so, Donald, tell me about Notre Dame and defense. Well, Notre Dame is known for their defense, and I, I think they, you know, they're a team that we said before last week um, that we needed to play our best game against them, both on, offensively and defensively. I think we did that. I think it was it was one of those hey, things. Hey, that, hey, hey, Donald. Yeah. You said Notre Dame's known for their. You mean they're known for their offense? They're known for their offense, but they're also known for being like very tough on the ball. They're not necessarily going to, you know, they're not Virginia in the terms of like they're not allowing only 40, 50 points a game, but they are tough on defense when it comes to being on the ball and being in your face and basically making you uh, take bad, you know, take, make, make some bad decisions with the ball. See, I wanted, I wanted to talk about Duke's defense against Notre Dame. Yeah, that's when, yeah. I, when I mentioned. Oh, I, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. I was going to say when I mentioned bad um, jump shots. I was thinking of how we, the defensive performance we turned in against Notre Dame, who, who is a really, really good offensive team. Um, and, and I don't mean to jump in and, and take over for you completely. No, go ahead. Uh, so let me, I was going to say, so let me ask this question. Did it strike you guys as much as it struck me how many times Notre Dame was shooting with the shot clock down to less than, you know, seven, six, five All seconds? Time. It was <laughs> unbelievable. That was the best thing about this game was was that Duke was forcing Notre Dame away from the middle. They were in the corners, they were on the wings, and and they were passing the ball back and forth and not getting it inside. Um, and I couldn't even said, count. I there was couldn't a, even there was count a point, how many times they did that. There was a point in this in the first half when we had a we went on that twenty-one to six run. I guess it was what thirteen to uh, I'm sorry, nineteen to sixteen uh, Notre Dame, and then we went on like a twenty-one to six run to finish the half. There was a point where like I think three possessions in a row. It wasn't even like they they waited until like four or five seconds left in the shot clock to shoot, but they didn't do anything to kind of work, wear us down for those other 25 seconds. They just sat there with the ball at the top of the key, and a couple guys would make a couple quick runs, realize that they were taken, that the passing lanes were taken, and then they basically just held the ball until seven seconds left and tried to do something on the fly. I thought that was brilliant defense, um, especially with our guards, because they were – Basically, they, they didn't have to do anything for 25 seconds except be in the passing lanes uh, a couple times, and it's almost like those the Notre Dame gave up on those possessions. So I, I think that this was uh, – first of all, there's no question, this was the best game Duke has played all year. We're, are we in agreement? Yes. Uh, raise your hand say aye. <laughs> aye. Um, and, and, yeah, and, and, and to me, it's not really close. I mean, uh, Ken Palm will tell you that our win over Florida – um, Florida's up in the top 10 now in, on Ken Palm. And so Ken Palm would say that our win over Florida is more impressive than this. Um, but I would disagree with the, with the stats guru. Um, I think a win at Notre Dame is really, really impressive. Uh, uh, clearly the best win that this team has had. I also thought it was probably our best defensive game. We talked about how we forced them into uh, bad shots, into shots with the shot clock going down. Um, uh, in the second half, Notre Dame did a nice job of hitting those shots. Um, Notre Dame hit 57% from the field in the second half, and at one point they were hitting, and I mean, I don't mean one point like in the first five minutes, I mean like 10, 12 minutes in the half, they'd hit 75% of their shots in the second half, um, but they couldn't really make up any ground on us. Uh, and, and to me, this game defined something really, really important for Duke, and that is Jason Tatum's potential for greatness. Um, when Jason Tatum is going toward the basket when he's driving. Uh, you know, he can take little pull-ups if he wants, but when he's taking the ball at the hoop, I think Jason Tatum looks like a future NBA All-Star. 
But when Jason Tatum fades away or takes a contest, what? Even when he's getting swiped in the face. You're right. I'm going to get to that in a second. Um, <laughs> but I was making this beautiful analogy, man. Dude, you interrupted, you interrupted right. it. When he's going toward the basket, he's a future NBA All-Star. When he is fading away or taking a contested jumper, he's, he's a not very good college player. Or, or Donald said to me, he's still a high school player. Um, and, and that's a huge difference. And this game, boy, did he take the ball at the basket. Um, really impressively. And you, 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 you mentioned him getting slapped in the face in that one play. Can I ask you guys, this was a terrible game by the officials. Tatum was slapped oh, yeah. in the place, face on, by Bonzi Colson on a layup. I mean, slapped in the face. Tatum clearly charged that they called it a block. Um, and, and on that play, he went down. And I, I was convinced he was injured. He's on the ground for like five minutes. He, he was holding his leg. I'm like, oh, wait, this is going to be an ACL, an MCL, a PCL, see, FCL, BCL, some kind of CL. Like broken his hand. I, I couldn't tell yeah, what it was. That's what it looked like to me. Yeah, then he comes back in the game a couple minutes later. I'm like, whoa, how, you know, how did that happen? Normally. Yeah, there was also exactly. a couple of continuation calls on both ends that weren't called, like basically within possession of other. Like I, I think um, yeah. Mike, Mike Bray got a technical because, I mean, I mean, the dude was fouled, and like when he was fouled, the ball was on the glass, and they called that on the floor. And then the very next possession, we went down, and Luke Kennard did the same thing. Got called for, and got a foul call, drew a foul call, but they called that one on the floor, and that one was basically in the hoop already by the time the whistle blew. So yeah, um, and ni- I thought neither team could get much rhythm because of of the officials who just kept on calling fouls. There were a crazy number of free throws. And by the way, in the preview all season long, I've talked about Notre Dame is the greatest free throw shooting team maybe in ACC history. That they hit almost eighty five percent of their free throws in the season, and this game. They only hit 68%, which isn't terrible, but was 23 of 24, 96% at the free throw line. Now, it is worth noting, if you want to say, hey, Duke only won because they shot incredible from the free throw line. If we had hit 70%, which is a, a still a very, very reasonable number, um, it only reduces our, 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 our point total by, by six points. So we still win the game by four points, but it definitely helped that Notre Dame hit a few less than they usually do, and Duke hit a few more than we usually do. I, I got a lot more, but but Donald, let, let uh, go for it. Give, give me something else. I think the, the turning point of the game um, was in the second half, we were up, I think, 13 points, and Notre Dame went on a 12-0 run, and we did not give up the yep. lead. We did not lose our composure, and basically when we got to, when they got to 12 points, we came down, we, I guess we called a timeout uh, a couple plays before, and Grayson Allen hit a key three. And then he hit another, uh, uh, I call a Cal Singler, one of those shots that like just inside the three-point line with his foot on the line. And after that, it was just like, wow, we took, the, we took their shot in the face, and we're still here. I think this is a good chance. So I think at that point, that was the turning point of the entire basketball game, where Earlier in the season, earlier in the week, we would have lost that game. And somehow this team stayed composed. They, even on the road, they really dug in and said, we can, we can still win this ball game. And I think Grayson Allen taking the lead at that point, taking charge, um, hitting a couple key baskets, settled the team down, and the rest of the team took it from there. I think that was a key sequence in the ball game. I think it might be a key sequence going forward in the season. Well, it's a, it's soul crushing. 
it, it, it really quick, it's soul crushing to make a run like that if you're Notre Dame. 12 straight points. Um, Duke's turning the ball over uh, on most of those possessions, so Notre Dame's feeling better and better and better. And then suddenly Grayson hits a three, and then he hits a 17-footer, and suddenly we're up by six again. And you're like, if you're Notre Dame, you're like, oh, God, you know, all this work. We were almost back in the game. You know, we almost had the lead, and, and now we're at least two possessions down. They had one or two opportunities to take the lead, right? They, they, like, they mm-hmm. had the ball down one once or twice and missed shots. Once. And, they had, they had one, one chance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it was Farrell that, that took a shot from outside and missed it. And then, anyway, uh, the, the one thing I wanted to add, that, or not add, but just to emphasize, because Jason already mentioned it, was the free throws. Uh, there was a point early in the second half when uh, both teams had a lot of fouls, uh, and, and you could tell that this was headed for a free throw fest. And Jason already mentioned how good Notre Dame is at shooting free throws. We've been kind of up and down. I think that you were probably, you know, the, the bright spot was maybe that Giles wasn't going to play much down the stretch because he had a lot of fouls himself. So there weren't going to be a lot of opportunities for him to go to the line. But I was worried there early in the second half when I think both teams had like five or six fouls within the first four or five minutes that we were just going to spend the whole game watching teams go back and forth on the free throw line. And at Notre Dame, you know, if you look at, if you look at the way each of these team seasons has gone so far, Notre Dame is expected to to win a game like that, and but but Duke managed to you know stay calm at the line. The only free throw they missed was the one that Jefferson had to take for Tatum. So uh, it was a, it was very impressive to see that. And you know it, it's probably not sustainable to shoot ninety five percent from the line. It isn't, but um, but it shows that this team has has a lot more composure than they did than they showed the last couple of weeks in other road games where. Uh, the crowd was affecting them, and they were letting emotions get the best of them. Today, it was very calm, and, and as we talked about, especially with Grayson Allen, with all the attention he's getting all through the game against Notre Dame, he was he was calm, and you know, a foul would happen, whatever would happen, he would just turn around and walk away, and he was and he was solid in this game. And I think that you know, throughout the game, he was kind of the steadying force for this team, uh, and and I was really impressed by that. You guys so we we haven't we haven't even mentioned. The coolest play um, ever. We haven't we haven't mentioned like uh, w- one of the best plays, yeah, of the season, <laughs> where Luke Kennard is falling, you know, is chasing a rebound, a ball out of bounds. Um, he grabs it. He like spins. Yeah, actually, he didn't spin. He sort of looked back with his head and he throws the ball with his arm back in bounds between the legs of a Notre Dame player to a wide open Grace Allen who buries a three. Um, it's one of the smartest, uh, calmest plays I've ever seen a Duke player make. And you ready for the ultimate compliment? Someone, a friend of mine on an email said this, the ultimate compliment. He said the play was Battier-like, yeah. which yeah. Is a, that's about the highest praise you can give to someone for a smart hey, hustle play. It reminded me of um, the block he had on uh, Jason Gardner in the uh, 2001 title game. I mean, that's what Luke Kennard is starting to turn into. The other thing we haven't mentioned is the rebounding. Duke won the rebounding battle by 12, 38 to 26. Now, Notre Dame's not a great rebounding team. They're not a big team. In fact, they went really small most of the second half. But, um, hey, welcome to the show, Jason Tatum. 14 rebounds, and he was he was going high and strong after the ball. Um, he was rebounding really well before he started scoring really well, and I sort of feel like it fed for him that that um that you know getting all the boards 
started to turn into something where he went, well, you know, I'm going to start being aggressive inside on offense. And like I said, Jason Tatum on the inside is a really, really good thing for Duke. And, and we talked before the game about how, um, about how Notre Dame plays a specific style. They don't play that many guys, so they can't really adjust. And Duke has a little bit more ability to, you know, play the big guys more, play the small guys more. How are they going to, how is Duke going to match up with Notre Dame? And I, I think for the most part, we saw kind of the small lineup where Tatum's playing the four, but you could see Duke's size advantage and, and Duke's interior advantage in, in that rebounding. Uh, and and by, by the way, by the way, when Tatum, you're right, Tatum, you know, played the four almost the entire second half. Um, when he got hurt and came out, do you guys notice who came in? Frankovich. <laughs> no, Frank Jackson in the second half. Frank Jackson came in and... You want to talk about going small? Emil Jefferson was the only guy on the floor for Duke who was over over six five at that moment. That was that was literally four guards around one not that big and not run jump big man. Um, Duke really went small, and and the rebounding didn't fall off, which uh, which was huge. And then Tatum came back and continued to rebound like like an absolute beast. I did want to throw I did want to throw a little bit of cold water on on your discussion of Luke Kennard's amazing play. I'm not convinced that he was trying to throw it to Allen as much as he was trying to throw it off the Notre Dame player, and the Notre Dame player was okay with the ball going through his legs. Um, they, uh, you and you and Dan Dockett are in agreement that Kennard was trying to to pass that ball. I'm not sure about it. The other the other funny Dockett moment, and I and I should say that I enjoyed Dan Dockett's commentary more than I normally enjoy his commentary or any commentary on ESPN. There was another play where Allen. Um, Airballed a little bunny, but it ended up in Harry Giles's hands, and that became his first two points of the game. Um, and <laughs> Dan Dockish said, "You know, well, Allen really found Giles down low, and then on the replay, you can see that Allen clearly pulls up for the shot and then just misses it." Um, Although I'll tell you something about that play, which is as Allen is pulling up on the replay, you could really see this. Harry Giles points up with his hand, like to say, "You know, put the ball up," because Harry Giles was in great position, and Giles yeah. was essentially saying toss this thing up here because I got all the, and he did, he had, there was almost not a rebound that was possible um, for anyone other than Harry Giles, just the positioning of where he was. There was no one else under the basket, but him. And he had put his butt into the only other Notre Dame player who was in the vicinity because everyone was going toward Grayson Allen. So I agree with you. I, uh, I haven't looked at the, I don't think they gave Grayson Allen an assist on that play. They probably called it a missed shot, but to me, whether he was shooting or passing, this was Grayson Allen putting the ball up because he knew that Harry Giles was going to get it no matter what happened. Yeah, and, and that's probably true. I just don't want to give him the full credit for a pass. Uh, so, uh, Anything else about Notre Dame, guys? I got one really cool thing about the second half. Yes. So uh, I looked at the shot chart. And this was, I looked at it because I'd noticed something during the second half. Um, Duke took five three-point attempts. Look, you, you got to take three-pointers. Uh, you know, college basketball is largely about three-pointers. Duke took five three-point attempts in the second half. We only hit one of them. It was the shot by Grayson when, when you know, Notre Dame cut the lead to one. Um, uh, Grayson also hit that straight-on 17-footer as the very next shot. And uh, a little earlier in the second half, Luke Kennard had a, had a baseline jumper from about 15. Other than that, other than our three-pointers, Grayson's wide-open 17-footer and Luke Kennard taking and making a 15-footer, every other 
Duke shot was taken in the lane, in the paint. 16 shots, every single one of them taken in the lane. I love that. This team is capable of passing and driving and creating in such a way that all of our shots are either wide open, a three-pointer, or a shot in the lane. Not contested jump shots. And if you look at the shot shot on Notre Dame, it looks very, very different. <laughs> and that's the reason Duke won by 10 points. We took shots that we were very likely to make, and Notre Dame took difficult shots. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's a, that's a great point. I'm looking at the shot chart and, and seeing the same, and the, the, there's that great cluster for Duke that is in the paint, and that nice spread around the outside, and nothing in the middle. So, uh, yeah, so yeah that, that's, a, that's a great point. Let's talk about Pittsburgh really quickly. Duke has, so Duke's playing Pittsburgh this weekend in Durham. Uh, I'm actually going to be at the game. So uh, if you see me, if you know who I am, say hi. Uh, <laughs> but that's Duke's only game now for the next week and a half, um, or a little, little over a week before playing UNC next Thursday. So what we'll do is we'll talk about Pittsburgh here really briefly, and then we'll preview, uh, we'll do a show after Pittsburgh game and to preview UNC, because obviously UNC is a big game. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll just pass to both of you. I don't think either of you is specifically um, uh, talking about Pittsburgh this week, but I'll start with Donald. What do you know about Pittsburgh? What have you seen from them? Is there anything that you think is a key to the game here for Duke? Well, I think there are two uh, guys that are getting points, are uh, Jamel Artis and uh, Michael Young. Uh, they both average 20 points a game, which is astounding for college basketball. It's astounding for the ACC. It's astounding to have two of them on the same team. Um, but what that shows is that their entire both of those guys, aren't we? What's that? We're familiar with both of those guys, aren't we? Those are, those guys aren't freshmen. No, no, these guys have been around for a while. And uh, uh, but the I think the catch is is that they're the only two guys who are really getting buckets. So uh, quick quick uh, uh, analysis is stop those two guys. You have a good chance to win the ball game because they're they're averaging forty. You know, they're seventy seven points. Um, in, in ball games, so uh, they they rebound pretty well. Um, I think Michael Young is was one of their best rebounders. Uh, Artist is also getting rebounds as well, uh, and they get a lot of assists, so they're moving the ball around. Um, but in the end, that if we get it down to the point where they're playing hero ball with these two guys, um, our our perimeter defense should be able to shut them down and limit their their chances. Um, uh, especially uh, getting if we rebound the way we did against Notre Dame, that's going to be a really big key. Uh, and I think our bench needs to step up. Um, our bench hasn't stepped up in quite a while. Um, I think they've played, uh, some of our guys have played well in spurts, but uh, I think if we want to wear, these, wear this team down, we have a full week of rest, and I think now we can get these guys uh, where they hurt, because I think they play in the middle of the week. Uh, I haven't double-checked that, but uh, I think the good thing is we'll have the bodies to run at them, uh, especially on, uh, in, on, the, in the, on the interior. Uh, and do that, uh, wear them down, and hopefully that'll be where we get a lot of our points, especially uh, points in the paint. Dude, not only do they play during the middle of the week, they play, they play during the middle of the week at UNC. They've got this weird situation where they play at Carolina um, on Tuesday tonight. Uh, uh, you know, those of you listening to the podcast, that game may have already happened. Depends on whether you. Um, grab the podcast the moment it comes out or whether you uh, maybe listen to it the next day or something like that. But uh, they play at UNC tonight. Then I guess they fly back to Pitt for a couple of days. Then they come back down to Durham. Um, they're, you know, 
essentially they've got two games in four days, 13 miles apart. Um, and, and it's a tough, tough road for this pit team. Um, they have lost six in a row. Uh, and some of them have been, you know, good, close losses. But they've gotten their butts kicked in some of the other games. Um, they, Louisville. So they, that Louisville game, they got smoked. So they lost to Louisville a week ago, 106 to 51. 55 points. Louisville doubled them, 106 to 51. 55 point margin, by the way, the biggest blowout on, you know, in a road game in ACC history, the largest margin of victory for a team on the road. They lost that game at home, 106 to 51. They lost it at home. Also, in that game, uh, it was 51 to 18 at the half. Uh, Louisville, and Louisville, obviously. If Louisville had not scored a single point in the second half and, and uh, Pitt had scored the points that they did, they would have just gone to overtime. Like, that's how far down they were. Uh, I mean, brutal. Uh, this Pitt team is unlike other recent Pitt teams. I mean, if I had to ask you what was the characteristic of Pitt in, in the past... You know, they've been a, a grinded, really physical team that plays good defense. Um, this Pitt team is much better on offense. They are much worse on defense than they have been lately. Um, and uh, and it's showing in their scores. I mean, everyone gets, uh, you know, mid-70s, 80s, 100-plus points against them. They had a game earlier this year. They played Marshall, and they won. The final score is 112 to 106. That's an NBA score. 112 to 106? I mean, come on. Uh, they, they've given up a ton of points on the season. And playing in Cameron, uh, you know, Duke tends to score a little bit better in Cameron. Um, I, this Pitt team, they're, they're reeling. They're, they're in a lot of trouble. A lot of people thought that they'd be one of the ACC teams that, that would probably or have a good chance to make the NCAAs. It doesn't look that way right now. Um, I, they're 1-7 in the league. How shocking is it that their only win is against UVA? How, how that's how crazy the ACC is this year. Ended against UVA, they scored 18 points in an overtime period. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They put up 88 on UVA. That's usually two opponents. UVA only gives up about 50 points a game, so that's like two opponents. It's it, it's crazy, and and I think that this you know going on the road to UNC and then on the road to Duke, I think that's going to be very very difficult. Pitt's going to be looking you know probably at one and eight, one and nine after they play us. Um. I, Jamel Artis is a heck of a player. This is a good team. They're certainly capable of beating Duke. Michael Young's a very good player. They're experienced players. They know what it takes to beat Duke. They've been around for a while. But I don't think... They're not playing as a team very well. Um, like I said, they're not playing very good defense. Uh, I, I, I'd, I'd be very, very surprised. I'd be really surprised if they're able to figure out a way to, to beat the Blue Devils. Uh, let's let's wrap up here real quick because um, I think we were all set on Pittsburgh. I, I would just add that that I'm excited to be there um, and and hopefully, as you guys say, see Duke uh, get something of an easy victory. And you know, as we're as we're looking ahead, we also have to remember that we're we're right in the timeline now for when Coach K might be might be making his return. So maybe I'll get to see him this weekend, but I'm not uh, I'm not holding my breath. Player of the week picks and parting shots. Um, so 
I will start with Jason. Jason, give me your player of the week. So I'm going to go with Grayson Allen. I think it'd be very easy to pick Luke Kennard, and I suspect that some of my other podcast teammates will uh, will go with Mr. Kennard. Um, but I'm going to go with Grayson Allen because uh, Luke Kennard gets to hit his huge game winner against Wake Forest because Grayson Allen hit a clutch three only moments earlier. Uh, when uh, We already mentioned when Notre Dame came back and and really made made it a one point game and and you had to be really worried on the road whether Duke was going to be able to hold on. Grayson Allen was the guy who scored five points in two possessions and and suddenly gave us a cushion again. He had twenty one points against Notre Dame. Uh, he had nineteen against Wake Forest. Um, I, I thought his shot selection is better than it's been lately. I think he's rebounding better than he has been lately. Um, and and so I, I went with Grayson Allen as as the guy that, uh, that, and, and I'll tell you, the other thing is, um, in, in both those games, there've been guys in, in pretty serious foul trouble. Um, and Grayson Allen has been somewhat of a steadying influence for Duke, um, uh, when we needed it, uh, down the stretch, uh, to get two ACC road wins. Grayson Allen, my player of the week. Donald? Uh, I'm actually going to go with Luke Kennard. Uh, 34 points against Wake Forest, 16 points against, uh, Notre Dame. Uh, the dude was on fire, um, and we really needed him, uh, especially like you said down the stretch uh, throughout the game against Wake Forest. But uh, also his, you know, his smart basketball play against Notre Dame was one of the reasons why uh, we were able to hold off the Fighting Irish uh, and win that game. So uh, my player of the week, Luke Kennard. So I was happy that I was hosting this week because I get to pick player of the week last. Uh, because I had three guys who I thought you could have picked, Alan Kennard, and then the guy who I'm going to take so that he gets his mention, which is Jason Tatum. Yeah, not, good call. Not really as much for his play against Wake Forest, although he was fine, really against Notre Dame, where, as Jason mentioned, he looks a lot more like an NBA player now than he has at any point in the season. He's going at the rim. Um, he's, making, he's making smarter decisions with the ball. He's not taking those, those contested jumpers from 18 feet that don't make any sense. He had a lot of shots that were from the interior. He was driving. He was getting offensive rebounds. He was passing the ball out when when he realized he didn't have a shot. And then at the other end of the floor, he was playing much better defense. He wasn't going out to the perimeter and letting guys just you know take one step around him and then be at the hoop. Um, he was he was using his size a little better. He was. And I, I think it helps when he gets to play in the interior. I don't know how much he's going to get to do that in the NBA. I don't know that he's quite big enough for that, but. Just that he has the awareness to be um, to be more thoughtful on defense. He's good at, at he's been getting better at, at getting guys away from the lane. So uh, particularly against Notre Dame, Jason Tatum, my player of the week. He had he had a, a, a double double. He went eight for fourteen for nineteen points and fourteen boards. So uh, really nice, really nice game against Notre Dame for Jason Tatum. Okay, we'll finish. With, I, I, uh, I, wait, wait, I, I I believe that that was Jason Tatum's first career double double. And um, it all, it is also worth noting, um, he was not good the first like five, seven, maybe even 10 minutes of the game. He had several turnovers. Um, and, and I was like, oh God, it's going to be another one of those games from Tatum where you, where you think he's, he's just not going to get it done. And boy, was he good the final 30 minutes of that game. Wow, was he good. No, I, I agree. Much, much, much improved. Uh, so I was going to make note of uh, Kyrie Irving making the all-star team, but uh, I actually remembered, I, I, I've been telling these guys, um, I had a big parting shot that I wanted to do. Uh, 
I was out in San Diego this past weekend and was able to play in a friendly match uh, uh, for a soccer game, uh, for those of you not, not hit to the lingo, and uh, got to play soccer on Saturday with arguably the greatest U.S. soccer player of all time, Landon Donovan. Uh, he was on my team. Uh, he passed the ball to me. I passed the ball to him. Uh, I, I, I helped. Uh, I had a couple hockey assists on a couple goals, uh, and probably he gave me the greatest compliment I've ever heard anyone say about my soccer game uh, at, at the half, he walked up to me and said, dude, you play great out there. Uh, so thanks, Linda Donovan, for coming out to play and uh, for at least uh, five seconds thinking I was uh, uh, making me feel like I was Pele. And, and I saw the photo of you and him on Facebook, and he didn't look like he's much bigger than you are. He's, he's not bigger than me. I mean, I, I probably have 100 pounds on him um, and a couple inches. So, um, and, and he was, I think he was in, uh, uh, he was still in his cleat. So, um, yeah, he's a small dude, but uh, he can still move. He's, he's still active um, on, the, on the field. All right, Jason. That's a, that's a great story, Donald. Jason, go ahead. <laughs> I, I'm, wait, I'm supposed to top Landon Donovan telling Donald that he can play soccer? That's like amazing. If I knew that's what Donald was doing, I would have let him go last. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how can you do this to me? You put me in a difficult position, but... I'm sorry to break parting, it out on you. Yeah, right. My parting shot is a, uh, a hearty shout-out to, uh, to two guys who stood next to Coach K um, just a couple of years ago and, and, were, and have been beloved by Duke fans for a long time, Wojo and Chris Collins. Both Marquette and Northwestern are playing the best basketball yet under those two guys as head coaches, and um, and there's little question. Everyone's talking about Northwestern, uh, and they should be. I'm I'm the guy who who uh, on the DBR board started the Northwestern thread before anyone else. I said this is going to be the year that Northwestern does the impossible. We've talked about it on the podcast. Northwestern going to the NCAA tournament. It's never happened. I don't mean like not in a long time. I mean like never, never. And Chris Collins. Now has Northwestern beat Indiana over the weekend. Indiana, you've heard of them, right? Um, they're they're you know a pretty well regarded team. Northwestern has now won six games in a row. They're just a half game out of the Big Ten lead. They're seven and two in the Big Ten. Now the Big Ten's pretty mediocre, but still seven and two in the Big Ten is pretty good. They're eighteen and four overall, and they are ranked. Northwestern is in the AP top twenty-five for the first time since since December of two thousand nine. And lest you think that Northwestern being ranked is something that happens often. When they were ranked for one week in, 2000, in December of 2009, it was the first time they were ranked since 1968. So the total number of weeks Northwestern has been ranked in Donald and Sam's lifetime is two, and one of them is right now. <laughs> this is a program that does not have much history, and Chris Collins has led them to six wins in a row, 18 and four. And at the moment, everyone says they are in the NCAA tournament as a number seven seed. So they're not even going to, they're probably going to be favored in their first round game. It is truly amazing. And then, like I said, I wanted to also mention that Wojo and his boys at Marquette um, are also playing great ball. They beat Villanova over the weekend. Uh, Villanova was ranked number one at the time. And Marquette had a great late comeback. They were down a bit, but they came back and they beat Villanova. They are 5-4 and four in, in a very tough, very competitive Big East conference. Right now, the, 
the pundits, the bracketologists say that they're about a number eight seed. So it looks very likely that Marquette and Northwestern are going to make the NCAA tournament. They just have to continue doing what they've been doing. And I had a great, great little side note from Marquette beating Villanova. Um, the fans rushed the floor. Of course they rushed the floor. They beat the number one team in the country. The, the Marquette fans rushed the floor. And as a result, the Big East, they have a rule against that. It's dangerous. It's not a safe thing. So they find them $5,000. And what happens is Marquette gets to pick what they do with it. The, they have to donate the $5,000 to charity. So they donate it to a local charity. So my question is this. Does this mean that fans who don't rush the floor are bad because they're denying a local you know, cause, a, a good cause, uh, some money? Because by rushing the floor, the fans donated $5,000 to, to a, a local like boys club or something like that. I mean... Fans should always should rush the floor, right? To, <laughs> Duke should be allowed to claim some kind of credit for all the court stormings that they've that they've been in the middle of over the years, right? Yeah. But anyway, I, so my parting shot, I I I love how good Wojo and Collins are doing, and, and not for this podcast, but um, the discussion of who someday down the road replaces Coach K is getting a lot more complicated. Yeah, and and I I watched the end of that Marquette game as well. And I liked at the end how Wojo like saw the crowd coming down and was like, "Okay, well, time to go shake hands." Because um, he's, <laughs> right. he's been on the uh, he's been on the business end of, of of a number of court stormings in his time, so he knows he knows what that's like. Um, I'll I'll finish. I just wanted to throw out a couple of very quick, simple statistics for you. Uh, January, at least for basketball purposes, is now over. Uh, today is January thirty first. Duke will not be playing any more games this month. Duke went five and four this month. Uh, I think the low point being that that home loss against NC State in 2015. Duke merely went six and three in January and lost at home uh, pretty big to Miami. In 2010, Duke went just five and three at home, and they had one especially gross loss at the end of the season at Georgetown. And that's all I will say about that. Anything else from either of you? Nope. Let's wrap it up. Feels like it's turning around. Really does. So uh, for Jason Evans, for Donald Wine, I'm Sam Klein. This has been episode 69 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke band takes home.